Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And I'm super duper excited about my guest with me here today, where we've been trying to have, we've been trying to have this conversation for more than a year, I think. And so I'm so excited that it's actually happening. Kaden Muhammad, he, him, his, is an activist and DEI enthusiast. Originally from NYC, Kaden moved to the Boston area in 2010 to attend Wellesley, did I say, am I saying this right? Wellesley College? All right. Where his experiences and exploration helped him understand and become comfortable with his own gender identity as part of the trans community and inspired him to get involved in social justice and activism. Caden now works full time at Positively Partners, a social enterprise committed to helping organizations do HR better. Caden began his career working full time at Keshet, a national organization that works for the full equality of all LGBTQ Jews and their families in Jewish life. He currently serves uh, as board president for the Transgender Emergency Fund of Massachusetts and as general member for the steering committee of the Massachusetts Transgender Political Coalition after three years as chair. He was featured in Spirit Magazine's 2017 Young Trailblazers list for activists under 30. Caden, welcome. Thank you so much, Dubs. It's amazing to be here and so great to see you. Yes, it's so great to see you. I, this is like the worst question, but how have you been? <laughs> or maybe it's good. I don't know. <laughs> um, in my personal life, I have been good. Um, work is always interesting. Um, getting the opportunity to do things like this is always great. I was actually at uh, a day of an LGBTQ day of dialogue yesterday at Brookline High School, getting to do something very similar to this. So personally, I've been good over the last couple of years. Um, of course, sad to see what's happening in the world around us, but trying to make the most of what I can. So overall doing well. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, okay, well, we'll get more into the, the work that you're doing in a yeah. minute. But yeah. first, um, we all have multiple coming out stories, multiple coming into ourselves stories. Uh, and so I invite you to share one of those moments with us. Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll start by saying that one of the things that I always think is interesting when people ask me a question like this is, um, the question is often like, when did you first know that you're, you were trans? Um, <clears throat> and it's always such an interesting question for me to answer because when I think back on it, like from a really young age, probably even under the age of five, I have really distinct memories of trying to do things like I used to like literally lock myself in the bathroom so I could like try to pee standing up or <clears throat> used to like harass my father to the point where he would give me like razors with the plastic covering taped on them so that I could like pretend to shave with him um, or, you know, like battling with my mom about having to wear dresses or, you know, skirts or whatever it was. Um, but at the same time, I didn't really have the language 
to really understand what was going on. Like I knew that things didn't always necessarily feel right the way that I was taught to do them or the way that people expected me to do them. But I also didn't have the vocabulary or really access to any information that I needed to know why I felt that way. Um, And it wasn't really until I got to college that I started to explore that. So for about 15 years or so, I sort of had these feelings of like being conflicted internally and like not comfortable when people would refer to me in a certain way or have certain expectations of me, um, but just kind of like struggled through it, I guess, because I didn't know what else to do. Um, And I guess the moment in college that is probably the most relevant to talk about is Um, So I went to Wellesley, as my bio says, which for anybody that doesn't know is a traditionally women's college. Um, I think the definition of what a women's college is has shifted over the years, but Wellesley is one of the ones that's still holding strong as as a women's college, which I I actually think is great. Um, But it was there that I sort of discovered (laughs) for myself, like who I really am. And so had this experience of like being at a women's college I was a women's and gender studies major. So I was like learning all about patriarchy and misogyny and all of these systems of oppression. And then also like starting to realize that the way that I had been feeling for 15 or so years is actually because I'm trans. So it was this very weird experience of like both starting to recognize who I am as a person and wanting to be okay with that, but also learning about how problematic masculinity can be how problematic like uh, patriarchy can be. And in this like bubble of like a women's space, right? And so it was a bizarre experience and I really struggled my sophomore year in college. Um, I was pretty miserable, like had a hard time being in class. I was like engaging in some behaviors that weren't necessarily the best, like drinking more than I should have. And I started smoking cigarettes for a period of time. So it really wasn't a good time for me. Um, And I remember getting to the end of that year in college and my girlfriend at the time was in a, like a Shakespeare uh, theater group, essentially. And because it's a women's college, like women play the men's parts too in the plays. And so they often wore Uh, chest binders when they would play those parts and so they had them at the at this place and I remember asking her if I could borrow one for a while and the first time I ever put that on and then put on a shirt and then looked at myself in the mirror was the first time that I think it really fully clicked for me Um, not just like who I am in terms of being trans but also I think what that really meant for me, right? Like, I think it was the first time that I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh, that—that that is what makes sense to me when I look at it. Mm. At the same time, I was still like struggling because there was this internal thing of like, okay, but do I really want to be part of this group of people in our society that is so problematic, right? Because I was so steeped in that like feminist women's and gender studies world and like the people that I interacted with at Wellesley tended to be in that sort of realm as well. And so I wasn't fully comfortable with it for a number of reasons, but that was definitely one of them. And so I kind of kept it to myself. Um, I had like asked my 
girlfriend at the time to like borrow this thing from her but like didn't really explain fully why I mean I'm sure she had a a sense of why but I didn't really articulate it and it wasn't until that summer so a few weeks probably after than that I was having hanging out with a friend of mine um and we were like at a Starbucks I think it was and she kind of just out of nowhere asked me so how are you feeling about your gender these days? And the question just like completely caught me off guard. Why? I don't know. Because again, I had like started wearing a binder and like was clearly dressing in a very masculine way and like had cut all my hair. And so I don't know why I was so taken aback by her asking that, but I really was. And I kind of like shut the conversation down really quickly. I wasn't really prepared to have that conversation at the time. And I was giving her a ride home later on. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, if you don't say something now, you might never say something. And so it was in that moment that I like in the car with this person who I actually don't even talk to anymore, but I have a lot of appreciation for her in my life because I don't know what would have happened had she not asked me that question. But it was in that moment that I, for the first time, actually out loud said that I thought that I was trans and like wanted to try using a different name and different pronouns. Um, and after that, it got a lot easier for me. I mean, I think I like that conversation, first of all, she reacted very well. I mean, and that's why I have such appreciation for her is that she invited me to share that with her in a way that didn't feel like there was pressure, but also received it in a really amazing way. So shout out to you, Lily. Um, but yeah, I mean, after that, I think it got a lot easier for me to, to articulate how I was feeling and share my identity with people. Um, so I think those two moments, that moment of like looking at myself in the mirror with that binder and like for myself realizing where I was at and then having that opportunity to have that conversation with Lily and that sort of starting me coming out to everybody else in my world, um, are probably the two things that I would highlight. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. I think there's, there's so much, that resonates with me and what you shared that I can, can only imagine that it resonates with so many other people. Um, I'm just thinking back to, uh, like you said, like moments before you were even five, those moments that really stuck out to you. I had such similar experiences. I used to just stand and watch my dad shave and, (laughs) and just, just was mesmerized by it and was like, so wanting, but I don't know that I ever asked to do it. I think I think I already had the internal shame to like, I can't do this, but I'm just going to watch. But I remember when I started tea and like, didn't actually still need to shave, but wanted to, um, I had my dad show me and he, I like knew the like faces to make to like, I don't know, like I'm (laughs) I'm showing you, but our listeners can't see like, you know, the like to get all the little spots. He's like, how do you know how to do that? And I was like, I studied you intensely. (laughs) He, He had no clue, but it was so meaningful for me. Right. to get to be in those moments but it's just so interesting um kind of like that hindsight is 2020 of like looking back and being like wow yeah yeah and I mean I think it says a lot about the people that question whether or not a kid like knows enough or you know quote unquote knows enough or you know is quote unquote mature enough to make these kinds of um I don't want to call them decisions but like to articulate and like speak for who they are. And I think for me, it's like, well, yeah, clearly they do. Right. Mm -hmm. Because at a time when 
And I mean, I think that people do start to impose certain gender related things on kids that young. But I think when you're that young, you still have a certain level of freedom to kind of break the barriers just a little bit more. And so, you know, if a kid at that age is starting to like be drawn to certain behaviors or certain cultural things or wants to dress a certain way or whatever it is, like, I think that's a very clear indication that you do know from an early age sometimes how you're feeling and you don't necessarily need to be an adult to make those types of, uh, to have those types of realizations. So I always think about that when I, when I hear that argument that people have around like young children that are trying to express their gender in different ways. It's like, I'm one of those kids that if I lived in a different time, or if I had parents that had more knowledge about this, like maybe I would have been able to explore that from a younger age and wouldn't have had to struggle and be miserable for like more than half of my life. Right. Like, so I think about that a lot. Yeah, I really do too. Cause I also, um, put up, put up a fight every time I had to put on a dress or a skirt and would beg to have my hair cut short. Yeah. It was always met with the phrase, which I just, you know, you know, little girls don't, X, Y, Z, you know, little girls don't have short hair, little girls wear skirts or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I'm like, you know what, if a little girl wants to wear a skirt and have long hair, great. Right. But when it's imposed, that's when it's a problem. But, you know, I think I was talking about this the other day and I can't remember why now. I think it maybe was in another one of one of another TIFCO interview. Um, But about Oh, no, no. I was I was giving a talk for Trans Day of Visibility. And I realized as I was trying to share, not as I was trying to share, as I was sharing my experience growing up, it all centered around these um, these moments that you and I are talking about, like the clothing that we wanted to wear or we wanted to do what we saw the the cis men in our lives doing. And I, I paused and I was like, and this all because for me, it was like a lot of it was based around clothing. And I was like, I just want to make it very clear that gender identity and gender expression are two different things. Yes. But there's so much that's, let me, let me pause for a second and try to figure out exactly what I'm trying to say. And it's, obviously gender identity goes so much deeper than the clothes that we wear or how we move through the world. And because we're socialized in a society in which those things indicate gender in some way. Um, I think a lot of people have a hard time parsing because, you know, part of, part of arguments have been, you know, um, well, like women can be more masculine and not be trans or, or, you know, take on certain traits or wear certain clothes that doesn't necessarily mean they're men or that they're trans. And so I think it's, it's even hard, it's hard for me to articulate and I'm an educator, I'm trans, I do, you know, it's, it's complicated. And so, you know, I'm just, I'm just curious, like what your thoughts are on this idea of, you know, associating certain traits with certain genders, because in one, on the one hand, it can be problematic, but on the other hand, it's very empowering. And it's just like, it's not a black and white conversation. So I'm just curious your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it is so complicated. And I think the thing about clothing is really interesting, or like haircuts is really interesting. And I I don't want to make this all about like, very young children. But I think, 
in that context, those things become even more important because Mm -hmm. when you're three or four or five years old, that's kind of like a major way that you have to express yourself, right? Like I think about the little kids that it's not even related to them being trans, but like they want to wear a fairy costume for three months of their childhood, right? Like I feel like every kid has their version of that thing. Like I dress as a pirate my whole like first grade year or whatever. (laughs) And so I think that it, it does have like a power in our society and, and over ourselves, even I think this like way that we express ourselves to the world. And I think you're right that because it often is an indicator of what gender somebody is or whether somebody is more masculine or more feminine, not always, but often can be, mm-hmm. um, I think that it's, it becomes like a, it becomes like a way of us expressing that. Right. And so for me, like, I remember when I went shopping for men's clothes for the first time, it was this amazing experience because I was like, Oh, well, like I wasn't on testosterone yet. I like didn't have any surgeries yet or anything like that, but it was a way for me to be like, okay, well, this is who I am. And this is what I want the world to see. And it gave me an opportunity to start to express that in some way. I also hear the part about like, it's not helpful to just automatically associate certain clothings or hairstyles with certain traits because Mm -hmm. there's nuance to all of that. Um, But I think for me, what it really comes down to is like, how can we as a people, and I think, and that's on an individual level, but also a collective level, get to a place where like, we just don't make assumptions about people yes. at all, right? <laughs> yeah. like, yep. like, how can we get to a place where somebody could walk in looking like me with, you know, you can't see me, but I basically have almost a shaved head. And like, maybe one day I like walk in wearing a dress and the next day I walk in wearing a three-piece suit. And how can we get to a place where like, that's just fine, right? That like, that's just a person being a person. And um, I was having a conversation with my physical therapist yesterday, we have, it's kind of weird, but we have these really deep conversations all the time. I love that. (laughs) And we were talking a little bit about some of this stuff because I was telling him about this, this uh, LGBTQ day of the day of visibility or day of dialogue rather that I did at this high school. And one of the things that he said was, you know, it would be great if people could just realize that regardless of whether you're trans or cis or straight or queer or a man or a woman or non-binary or a person of color or a white person or whatever religion you are, really whatever identities you hold, how can we get to a place where everybody just understands that that's part of the human experience, Mm -hmm. right? And that we're all humans having an experience and it doesn't need to, I feel like, be any more complicated than that. Um, So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's that's how I've been thinking about it in the last couple of days. Yeah, I know that it definitely answers the question. I think any, I mean, any time that I am leading a, an, an, a workshop on gender identity, I try to articulate what you're what you're saying, which is like we want to get to a place where we're not making assumptions yeah. about anybody. We hear the sound of their voice. We're not going to assume anything. You know, right. we hear, we see what they're wearing their hair, whatever it is, we're not going to assume. And I remember, you know, it's interesting when I try to, um, it just, I mean, it just depends on who's in the room, (laughs) but when I try to have conversations around, even if a kid 
dress it, you know, a, a, a kid assigned male at birth, let's say wants to wear dresses for six, the first six years of their life. Mm-hmm. And then they are not trans. Like who gives a fuck? Like, yeah. who, like who cares? <laughs> right. Because the, it, the, the, the problem is, is like, if we care, like that feels pretty transphobic, right? Yeah. Like who cares if like, and so, I mean, I obviously don't say it in that way in a training, but I try to articulate <laughs> the idea of like, when we're like monitoring what people do and what they wear and how they behave yeah. or move through the world, whether they're trans or not, that's problematic. Yep. And I think it's just, there's so much, you know, you, you talked about the systems of like patriarchy and misogyny, and I'll go as even far as to say white supremacy yeah. of like, it's everywhere. And it is so hard to, to unlearn and well, you have to like want to unlearn it. You have yeah. to become aware. Well, I guess you have to become aware. You need to unlearn it. And then it's, it's, I think it's a lifelong journey for yes. people, for, yes. for a lot, most people, white yeah. people. And um, it's challenging. It's like you got, but people like they have to stick with it or it's going to get, it's just, you know, now nah, I'm just mumbling, but do you know what I mean? No, I totally know what you mean. And I I would say that it's a lifelong journey for all of us. Like I include myself because, and I said this, I don't, again, I don't want to continue to repeat the same things, but at this high school thing yesterday, I said at one point in one of my responses, like, I bet that I could learn things from all of you sitting in this room right now, because here you are at 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, and you are already expressing your gender or your sexuality or both in a way that I wasn't able to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're already thinking about these systems of oppression and identities that are marginalized and the different, like one kid came up to me and said, I'd love for you to like, talk to me more about the different expectations of trans men of color versus like white trans men. And I was like, you're not even in college and you're like thinking about these things that I wasn't thinking about until I was there. So I, I agree with you that I think it's this lifelong journey for all of us because mm-hmm. things are also always changing. And yeah. I talk about that when I do trainings, um, particularly around gender identity. One of the things that I talk about is like at one point in time, like it was weird if a woman walked into a room wearing pants, right. but nobody thinks twice about that anymore. And so this isn't really about like what is right or what is wrong in like a moral sense it's like it's what we as people and as a society decide on any given day is right or is wrong and that can change as we've seen with things like women wearing pants right Mm -hmm. um or thinking about the types of professions that like a man probably would never have had in the past or would be ashamed to have in the past and now like it's not so big of a deal so I I totally agree with you that it is this lifelong journey of like undoing the social constructions that are imposed on us and like continuing to understand that like things are always going to change and evolve. And if we don't change and evolve with that, like we're going to get left behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, I want to come back to the, the, the day that you spent at this high school, I just want to remind you, we weren't there. So you can repeat all the same answers. You would never know, Um, except for the students maybe who are listening now. Um, (laughs) So I want to come back to that. But uh, before I do um, just this other, this other thing that you said really stuck out to me. And I want to just bring it up because it's so important of the first time that you wore a chest binder 
Mm-hmm. And he looked yeah. in the mirror and I have in all caps, this is what makes sense. Like, that's what yeah. you said. Yeah. And I remember when I, I got a, I had a chest binder and I put it, I, I don't know what I, in my mind I was expecting. I had a really huge chest. So, but for whatever reason in my mind, I thought I'm going to put this binder on and I'm going to be completely flat and it's going to be exactly mm-hmm. what I want. Yeah. And I put it on and like, yes, it flattened my chest, but not in a way that felt like this makes sense for me. Mm-hmm. And so I actually never wore it again because okay. it was so disappointing for me yeah. to look in the mirror and not have that moment. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Thank you. It just, you know, but it, but what it did do was give me the information that I needed. Like I need to have top surgery. So yeah. it helped me in that way. And then after top surgery, I had that moment of looking in the mirror and saying like, ah, finally yeah, me. Yeah. It's such a feeling. It is really a feeling. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, I think I had that feeling after I had top surgery too. Um, I, I often feel very grateful that my chest was not very big. And so when I, when I put on the binder, like it did really like create that flatness that I wanted. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is a crazy sensation to just like, it's almost, for me, it was almost like I had been like, not actually looking at my reflection in the mirror. It's like, when Mm. I would look at the mirror, I would see what I wanted to see. Mm. Does that make sense? Like yes. I was almost imagining myself looking differently than what I actually looked like, even though I was staring at myself in a mirror that was not <laughs> reflecting that. Yeah. Um, and then when that moment happened, it was like those two things finally actually matched up. Wow. That's yeah. so powerful. I'm just, I'm thinking back now to, I'm just two, two moments are, are, are surfacing for me. One is, I remember this was before having an understanding of my trans identity, but I remember I like stared in the mirror and I just like cried Mm. for like, I don't know how long, but I remember just feeling so defeated of like not knowing what, what to do. Like, I didn't know who I was. I didn't have, like you had mentioned before, like, this is when you were younger, but like the language or the understanding or the information to be able to give me the sense of self, who am I looking in this mirror? And like the song reflection from Mulan keeps coming into my head every time I talk about it, but like, and by every time I mean this one time, but (laughs) um, it's just, it was, it was so hard to, that moment was really hard for me because I was like, I don't even know what this is. Like, what's the point? It just felt so hard for me. Um, so I'm glad that you had that, the like, ma- I don't know, call a magic trick where you could look in the mirror and see what you wanted. <laughs> I definitely, I couldn't do that. And then there's this one other moment where I remember there was one time when I walked around my room in like gym shorts and no top. This was definitely pre-top surgery. And just like willing and wishing to not have a chest and being like, what could this feel like if I didn't have boobs and, and then feeling so sad that I was like, I'm stuck like this forever. Yeah. And it just was, it's just so hard. And then I always worry when I share these kinds of stories that people are like, everything's about the body. And, 
And it's like, nope, this is just my own one experience of a more nuanced story. But I always feel like I have to give the caveat of it's not always about my body or trans people's bodies. No, I, 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 because for me, physical transition, like has been a major part of my transition. Um, And I always like, I was, I think I said this to my girlfriend, like very recently, like within the last couple of weeks where I said something like, or maybe it wasn't her, but somebody within the last couple of weeks, I said something along the lines of like, I know that this is not a thing for all trans people. And like, I don't want people to think that it is, but like, I am one of those trans people that does actually feel like I was born in the wrong body. Like Mm -hmm. it's not true for everybody. And I always feel the same way that I have to say that like six times (laughs) in order to like make (laughs) sure that people are not conflating my story with like every trans person. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, for me, like, physical transition and the way that I look and present and the way that people like perceive me and see me has been really important. Um, And I think that's one of the things that I'm really grateful for having been at Wellesley for. I mean, Wellesley is a complicated place. I don't think that it's a perfect place by any means. It's like a super wealthy white institution that was founded like for rich, mostly white women. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. Like it's got a history of problems um, and I'm sure that there are still some problems that exist there today. But what I am really grateful for is that it was a small community of people, um, a very large portion of the population at the time. And this was, you know, 10 years ago. So a little bit of a different time. There was still a really decent population of like LGBTQ identified people. um, And there were some other trans folks on campus and like, I don't know what I would have done or what my experience would have been without that. Like, I don't even know if I would have consciously realized that I'm trans until much later in life, because it really wasn't until I met trans people that I was able to put two and two together. Um, So without that experience, like I may have had more of an experience like yours where like I felt that level of like despair for lack of a better word for a longer period of time I just happened to be lucky enough to be in an environment where I saw other trans people I saw other people wearing binders I saw people cutting their hair and changing their pronouns Um, and while he wasn't there at the time there was a person who was at Wellesley before me who had actually gone on hormones and there were some folks that knew him that were still there when I was there so but without any of that, like, I'm not sure what would have happened for me. I don't know if I would have like transitioned as early as I did, or if I ever would have transitioned because Mm -hmm. like, who knows if I ever would have gotten that exposure and that language and that understanding like, oh, this is something that people do. Right. Cause I think that's the other piece of it is like, it's one thing to know that you feel that way and to like have the vocabulary for it. But I think it's another thing to know that it's okay. Mm-hmm. And the, the narrative, at least I think it's changing slowly over time in certain yeah. settings and contexts, um, like to see the kids at the high school yesterday walking around with giant trans flags, giant non-binary flags, giant rainbow flags, you know, it's, it's clearly like moving in the right direction slowly, um, But at the time, like the narrative was very absent, I think, about trans people in media and really anywhere. And so I'm not sure what my experience would be without having those folks to sort of show me like, 
this is like an okay thing to do. And like, this is a thing that people do and they're okay when they do it and people support them when they do it. So I feel very grateful to have had that experience and grateful to those people who like were doing it, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think they were doing it for me by any means. I think they did it for themselves, but it definitely had an impact on me and I'm sure on a lot of other folks at, at the school at the time. Yeah, for sure. I've been thinking about, so something you said, you know, like not only like having the information to know that it is possible, but then also the indication to know that it's okay to do it. So in your experience at Wellesley, like were trans people treated with dignity and respect? Like were there issues or was it like, were people talking? I'm just like, think going back to high school mode, even though I know it's college of like people being assholes. So it sounds like maybe it wasn't like that. And there was more of a positive experience. I'd say overall it was positive. I think there were a few incidents that were like a little bit bizarre. Um, I think it got a little bit weirder when I actually went on testosterone and like those effects started to take place. Mm-hmm. Um, because not everybody had a full understanding of like what it means to be trans. I'm not sure everybody had an understanding that there were trans people present at the school. And so mm-hmm. there were a couple of things that would happen. Like I remember when I went back for seat, I started testosterone in March of my junior year. So I was on it for a few months at the end of junior year. But by the time I came back for senior year, like I had been like six months on T, which for anybody that isn't familiar with transitioning, like if you're on a full dose of testosterone for six months, like you'll start to see some pretty significant changes most of the time. Like your voice has pretty significantly dropped. You might have some facial hair, your body composition might have shifted a little bit. And so it was obvious to people that like, I wasn't a woman at that point, right? Mm -hmm. Like, or in their heads, it was obvious that I wasn't a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I remember like the first week of classes, there was this like first year, we call them first years because we don't use the word freshman at Wellesley. Um, There was this first year walking around like the dorm that I lived in at the time. And I had headphones in, so I didn't hear what she said at first. And I like took them out and I was like, what did you say? And she was like, um, I just wanted to let you know that you actually like can't walk around the dorm uh, without a Wellesley student. Like you're only allowed to walk around and like basically like repeated the rule for guests to mm. me. And it was in that moment that I was like, oh shit, like people don't realize that I go to this school. Mm. Like here I've been for three years, yeah. <laughs> like during my last year of like being here and people don't even recognize that I'm a student. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were like a couple of moments like that. Um, there were the moments where like a professor who had been teaching at the school for, you know, 30 years would walk into the room and say like, good morning ladies, because they've worked at a women's college for their whole career. And like trans people weren't really visible in the same way back then. And so there were things like that. Um, I think there were probably some people on campus that like, didn't feel fully comfortable with it. Um, there were a couple of incidents where like people said things in slightly public forums. Um, but I would say like on the whole, people were really supportive and people, including like some of my professors, some of the faculty and the staff, um, who maybe not have fully understood it at the time, but like never said or did anything that really made me feel like I couldn't be there. Um, Again, with the exception of like a few things here and there, but 
it, overall, it was really like a, a safe, I think, place for me to be not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally. Hmm. I'm so glad you had that. That's so important. And then just want to, I just want to highlight one thing you just said, which is they may not have fully understood, but they did nothing, you know, that they were there and wanted to make sure that you still knew that you were welcome and that yeah. you still felt safe. And yeah. that is just like, if anyone listening takes away, you should take away everything that we're talking about right now, but mostly that line, yeah, that sentiment is you don't have to fully understand all the nuances, all the definitions, all of the, the history and, you know, ins and outs of trans and not, you know, genderqueer, non-binary identity, but you don't need to know it to show someone respect and to make sure that they know that they're safe in the space. Yeah. And and I talk about that too, when I, when I teach people about this, because if I'm doing a a training on like trans identity, obviously I talk about non-binary identity. One of the things that I say is like, I don't really actually like from an academic or like definition standpoint, like I understand what non-binary identity is, but it's not my identity and it's not my experience. So there are a lot of things that I don't really understand about it. That doesn't mean that I don't think it's a real thing or that I don't respect people that are non-binary or that I don't want them to feel supported and included and like they should live their full lives, right? So Mm -hmm. again, I think it's about all of us. Like, I don't know what the heck it's like to be a cis person, right? Like, there's always going to be something that you don't understand about another person's experience, but that doesn't mean that you have to. And it's okay if you don't. Sometimes you're never going to. Like, I'm never going to know what it's like to be a white person, you're never going to know what it's like to be a person of color. Like, and that's fine. Right. But we still mm-hmm. have a level of respect for each other and like love for each other where it's like, I want you dubs to be a happy human being. And you want me Caden to be a happy human being. And like, I don't need to understand every single part of your life or experience to do that. So yeah, I totally agree with you. That is definitely a key takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to go back to what you were saying about uh, just being amongst high schoolers and having them with these huge flags and, and having the nuanced thinking certainly before, you know, I never had that for a (laughs) long time. And it just, it takes me back to, so I want to, I want to like shift us to talking about Keshet, if that's okay, because that was like, I'll talk about my experience, which feels Anyways, I want to know how did, I don't think I even know how you got connected to Keshet in the first place. Yeah. We were colleagues uh, for years. Yeah. So I got connected to Keshet. It's kind of weird, actually, and so tied to like being trans, which is mm. kind of funny. But I first got connected to Keshet because when I was a senior, I was friends in college. I was friends with a, a junior who had a brother who worked at Keshet at the time. And, um, he the 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 person I went to school with is also trans and was going to get his first shot of testosterone and we were really good friends at the time and so he had asked me to go with him and he's really close with his this brother of his that worked at Keshet at the time and asked him to go too Mm. and so that was really my first introduction to Keshet was like meeting this person at like my friend's like tea appointment wow Uh, and actually like Keshet sends out like donor appeals to like do fundraising and like I actually like signed some appeals 
while I was like in the waiting room. <laughs> That's hilarious. Of, like my friends, <laughs> right? So like that was like my true first introduction to Keshet. Um, but then like a, a year later or so, um, that same person, the brother of my friend, reached out to me on social media because there was a position opening for like an office administrator at Keshet at the time. Um, and he obviously knew me from that interaction. Um, and so I applied and, and that's how I ended up there and then stayed there for, you know, five plus years. That's amazing. And I, I just, this is a little insider baseball here, but knowing who this person is and having you sign appeals on the first Hilarious, day you right? met is the best. <laughs> <laughs> and like so off brand for the most. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm just I'm thinking back. So I like my first Shabbaton. So for those of you who don't know, a Shabbaton is like a weekend uh, retreat over Shabbat. And we, uh, we, I keep saying we, even though I'm not there anymore. Uh, Keshet has those for LGBTQ uh, teens um, and ally teens. And the first time I ever went as staff was like the most, did you ever go to one? I actually never did. No. Oh, it was so overwhelming in the best way because it was a space specifically for LGBTQ teens are Jewish LGBTQ teens. I never had that before. Yeah. And I just was in awe the entire time, like seeing these teens mm-hmm. with their huge flags mm-hmm. and their, however they wanted to express themselves yeah. doing it. It's a trip. It is a trip. And with like all the different pronouns and nobody made anybody feel anything other than the best. Yeah. I remember there was this one who was just their own self is is how I'll put it. And I just kept being so worried that people were going to be mean to them just at every turn. And like they had signed up for the talent show and I was like, oh God, please don't like heckle this person. And then they actually like went away, like they weren't going to do it. And and I, and I just didn't know how this was going to unfold. And literally this group of other teens br- br- like pulled them back and were like cheering them on and supporting them. And this talent that this person did, I don't even know what it, it was. So their own is what I'll say <laughs> that I was like, then I was bracing myself for like, what are they going to heckle? And like, they cheered the shit for this person, like, like yeah. the shit out of this person. Like it was so overwhelmingly positive that I know it doesn't represent quote unquote, real life outside of this space, but to be a teen and have an opportunity to have 36 consecutive hours to just fully be yourself on the one hand is amazing. And on the other hand, probably depressing to then have to go back to school. Anyways, I digress because I want to say like the kids are all right. Yeah. I mean, it was a similar experience for me yesterday. And I think even more so because I was like, well, this is the school that these kids go to all year. Like this is not like mm-hmm. a 36 hour specific retreat put on by an LGBTQ organization. Right. This is like a random public school in Brookline mm-hmm. <laughs> that like is just doing this every year. And like there were kids who got up and I wasn't there for this part, but there were kids who got up and shared their personal stories of coming out as trans or whatever other LGBTQ identities that they held. And it was, it's so funny to hear you. Well, not funny, but like ironic to hear you say that you had this worry because that's what I've been saying is like, it's amazing to me that 
first of all, these kids under have such a deep understanding of who they are at an early age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have access to like understand that. Two, that they're like have accepted that within themselves to the point where they can then share it publicly at school. Right. Then to go the step further and like get up on a stage in front of an auditorium with a live stream happening Mm -hmm. for a bunch of people that aren't there to then tell your story. And then a step further to like feel safe enough to do that and to know that like people are not going to heckle you off the stage or bully you after or whatever it might be because you have shared that. And like, I kept saying this to them. I kept being like, I'm not that much old. Like I might seem a lot older to you now when you get to be like 29, you'll realize I'm not actually that much older than you are. Mm -hmm. But like in the 15 years that have gone by then since I was in high school, you are all living in a different world because this would never have happened. And I went to high school in New York City, right? Which you'd think is like very, very liberal, like very progressive. There's a ton of diversity built into just New York City as a place. Um, But even still, like people were not really out in my high school. And I have a friend now who um, we keep in touch. We, We went to middle school and high school together. And all through middle school and high school, like people knew that this person was like queer in some way Mm -hmm. and he never felt safe enough to come out. And I think about him in this context because I'm like, well, what would have happened if he went to a school like this? Like maybe he would have felt comfortable enough and safe enough to come out and then like be who he really is instead of feeling like he needed to hide that from everybody even though we all still knew, right? So Mm -hmm. it was was a really amazing experience for me to be there because I think it one reminded me of why I do the work that I do because Mm -hmm. like ultimately I mean if I didn't want the future to be better I probably wouldn't do what I do Um, and like obviously that when you're thinking about the future you're often thinking about like the youth and the folks that are coming after them Um, but it was also just amazing to like have the chance to see that that work like is paying off in some way, right? Like even mm-hmm. if it's in this like microcosm of this one school, like that's going to have a ripple effect eventually because those kids are going to grow up and they're going to influence the people in their lives and hopefully like pass on this acceptance of LGBTQ identity. And like, it, it was it was just an amazing experience to see that and to hear the questions that they were asking and like the things that they're thinking about and like different systems of oppression and like the different expectations of people based on their race and gender and like intersectionality. And I was just like, these are concepts that I wasn't dealing with until I was much older than you are. And so it was a really incredible experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I think it, it reminds me of something you said earlier, which is, um, you know, the, the few people, the few trans people who were at school with you, you said, you know, they did it for themselves, but they also did it for you. Yeah. And I think about, there are a few people who I um, knew in college who are trans. One wasn't out and one was, and was like going through changing his name and changing his pronouns and was binding and then had surgery, like doing all the things that made him feel more himself. And I just remember, you know, observing like the three of us would hang out and just like observe him and like not in a not in a creepy way but like in a this is very intriguing why is why am I so intrigued by this way um but then also knowing that everyone else around 
him in our friend group knew this about him, but were treating him with dignity and respect. Right. So it's like putting those pieces together. It's like, okay, it is possible. And like, he did it for himself, but like also for me. Yeah. And I just think about what you too of like, I do the work that I do for the exact same reason. Like it helps me, but also I hope that it helps other people too, because yeah. we, we need all, we need it. We need the help. <laughs> yeah. I often quote, um, our former colleague, Daniel. Mm. Um, and I did this yesterday where when they asked the question of like, what made you get into doing this work? And I said, the best way to put it is to quote my former colleague and say, he, cause he always used to say like, be the adult that you didn't have when you were a kid. Yeah. I think that there's like, it's so simple, but it is so deep at the same time. Right. Yeah. And I think that is why I do this because like, to see those kids come up to me after and just be like, it was so amazing that like our school was able to bring you. It's like, yeah, it is kind of amazing. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I'm glad that I can be one of the many people that you can look at and say, like, I can do this or I can be this, or I can hold this identity and still be a happy and successful person. Successful, of course, define in whatever way you define that for yourself. But like still be happy and successful and fulfilled and like live, right? I mean, at the most basic thing, just like live a life. Yeah, I love that. And that's that's what I, what I do, what I do to have the adult that I never had. Yeah. Um, hi, Daniel. Um, <laughs> okay, so I don't want to do this, but I must move us into our lightning round of questions. Yes. Um, okay. They're fun. Hopefully they are open-ended because I had either or questions for a few seasons and people are like, that's too binary. So (laughs) uh, answer the best of your ability pass. If you don't want to answer it. Um, If you could name your own crayon, what would you name it? Oh, uh, gray and purple are my favorite colors. So maybe like purple. I love it. I somehow knew you were going to say that. I don't know how. (laughs) Um, Favorite time of day? Definitely the mornings. I'm absolutely a morning person. I'm like that insane person that's awake at 530 to go to the gym. So mornings Hmm. are are my thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see you when you're back showered and I'm still sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Your favorite current queer media representation? Oh, um, Can I say you? Because this is wow. like, I mean, this is pretty cool. I, I'm, I'm going to put you on that list. Yeah. I Thank think you. it's really amazing that you do this. That's so nice. Thank you so much. I'm honored. I'm honored. Um, a song that makes your heart sore. Ooh, it probably shouldn't make my heart sore, but it is my favorite song. Um, and it's Redemption Song by Barb Marley. Mm, nice. Yeah. Um, favorite beverage. Um, I'm a water person. If I'm not drinking water, then probably oat milk. Hmm. Kind of weird. I know, but just like straight out of the box oat milk. Yeah. I put it in, in shakes a lot as well. Hmm. Cool. No judgment. Um, <laughs> favorite quote, favorite quote, um, I'm going to double down on my Daniel quote. I think it, I, I, I reference it so often. So I'm going to double down on the, be the adult that you didn't have when you were a kid. Love it. 
Okay, I couldn't I couldn't get rid of one, which is uh, one binary question, which is bagels or donuts. Oh, dubs. How could you even make me pick between those two things? I know. As a New Yorker, I feel very much like I have to say new uh, bagels, but I also have like an insane sweet tooth, which makes me lean to donuts. So I think I'm going to go with donuts. Final answer. I mean, that's wrong. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This New Yorker says that's wrong. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. I accept you for liking donuts more. Um, Kaden, this has been so lovely. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad we finally made it happen. Me too. Thank you. This was amazing. I wish we could talk for longer. I know. Me too. We'll have you on for a part two. I was going to say, yeah, we'll have to do part two soon. Yeah. Kaden, thank you for coming out. Thank you for letting me come out. (laughs) Thank you for coming out.